Take seriously God's warning of a judgment to come. Trust entirely in his provision for your salvation. A day of reckoning is coming when God will call the world to account for rebellion against him. But there's a way of protection, a way of safety. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we begin a message today called Enduring by Faith. And, you know, I've heard it said, Jonathan, that the greatest problem we face is that we are under the wrath of God. It is coming. Every person born under that wrath of God. And so what he has done in his mercy, his grace is providing a way of escape for us. For the person who uh, is wondering, okay, what is that way of safety? What is that way of escape that you just referenced? What is it? Well, it is simply entrusting the Savior whom God has sent to the world, Jesus Christ. He's come to bear the wrath of God, to endure the punishment that we deserve. He has faced the judgment of God ahead of time for us. He faced it at the cross. And he invites us to receive salvation, the forgiveness of sins in his name, as we trust in him. that That's the essence of the Christian gospel. You know, it's not a lifestyle add-on. It's not, it's not something to improve our standard of living. It is about rescue from the coming judgment from the very wrath of God. And so it's an, it's an urgent message that we want to discuss today, and we want to invite you, we want to call you to receive it personally. That's our longing. That's, that's our prayer. You know, as you listen to the program today, if you realize that you don't have that kind of knowledge of God, that relationship with Jesus that you just heard us talk about, I do hope you'll visit the website and contact us here at Encounter the Truth. Uh, Simply stop by EncounterTheTruth.org and click on that contact link. Let us know that you'd like to know how to begin that relationship with Jesus. Receive that safety, that gift of salvation that he offers to you. Well, We are beginning this message called Enduring by Faith. It is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're looking at verses 23 to 40 today, so join us there. Here is Jonathan. If there is one emotion that characterizes our age, if there is one feeling that is shared by millions around the world today, it is simply this. I think you would agree with me. It is fear. People are scared. Maybe quite a number of us sharing in this time together today, maybe quite a number of us are scared. Scared for the world, scared for our nation, scared for our community, scared for our loved ones, scared even for ourselves. There is no doubt this is a fearful time. It may be that you're actually joining us today for this broadcast for that very reason. You are feeling something of that sense of fear, and you're looking for security, and you're looking for hope. You've been prompted to consider spiritual realities in a fresh way and a deeper way and a more urgent way. Well, what do we do with this fear? How do we manage our fear in these strange days. For those of us who know and love Jesus Christ, the pressing question for us as disciples is, I guess, this, how do we live by faith in these fearful times as we walk through situations and realities that would naturally cause us 
fear situations would it, where it would seem natural and normal and rational to be afraid, what will it look like to walk through such days in faith as the people of God? There could hardly be a more pressing question, a more urgent question. We've all seen the news reports. We've all viewed those graphs of the rising numbers. We've seen the curve here and elsewhere. We know the pressures on our health system. We feel daily the disruption to normal life, the reduction of our liberties. And it's also strange for us. It's also fearful. Well, in such a whirlwind, to focus our minds and to steady our hearts, we turn once again to God's unchanging word. We turn to Hebrews 11 in this majestic chapter, and it is a majestic chapter. The writer is helping us to understand what it means to live by faith in such days. Remember, that was the focus set for us at the outset of this study in Hebrews 11 in words quoted from Habakkuk, actually at the end of chapter 10, where we read, Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We need to be those, we must be those who live daily by faith. And so now in this final section of chapter 11, the writer sets out to show us and to teach us what it means to live by faith in particular in the challenging context of fearful times. He invites us to walk with him through stories in rapid motion, stories of Old Testament believers who themselves lived through fearful times and fearful experiences, but who did so in steadfast faith. Those who have been with us for a while through this series will remember that Hebrews always builds his teaching sections toward an exhortation. He sets out truth in order to call us to respond in a very practical way. He always builds toward a, therefore, let us. And so, true to form, he shows us where he's going with all this truth from the Old Testament, from these models of faith. He shows us where he's headed at the start, actually, of the next chapter, just to frame this. Notice this with me, chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. That's what Hebrews wants for each and every one of us. That's the purpose here of chapter 11. And within that purpose, through the stories that he recounts for us here toward the end of the chapter, he wants us to take hold of a very grand lesson and a very grand truth. 
He wants us to see and he wants us to understand that God has used fearful circumstances again and again and again. He's used those circumstances in the lives of his people. He wants us to see that throughout salvation history, those fearful circumstances have not derailed God's plans for his church and for his people. No, far from it. These fearful circumstances have actually been part of the very fabric of his purposes, of his plans, of his activity. The writer wants us to see and believe that God works salvation as his people walk by faith through fearful times. So he reminds us of these stories. He reminds us of these stories that we might learn this lesson and so endure. He takes us first to Moses' parents and their story of faith. Notice it with me, verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. At the time of the birth of Moses, you'll remember the people of Israel were living in, in bondage, really, in Egypt. They had gone to Egypt originally at a time of famine because Joseph, one of their own, was in leadership in Egypt and welcomed them and cared for them. But as the opening of the book of Exodus tells us, there arose another king in Egypt, one who didn't remember Joseph, didn't know Joseph, didn't have any regard for his family, the nation of Israel. As the Israelites grew in number and prospered in Egypt, Pharaoh became frightened of their potential to threaten him. And so an evil plan was hatched to control their population, destroy all the male infants, only let the girls live. It was a heinous, genocidal plot, ugly, horrific. These were dark days for the people of God to be living through. Dark storm clouds had gathered over them. There was a real threat to life. This was scary. This was terrifying. But at the same time, it's wonderful to read the story as it unfolds in the book of Exodus. Once the awful news of Pharaoh's plan is shared in chapter 1, chapter 2 of Exodus then opens with this very simple, lovely scene from everyday life. It opens with a hopeful mention of the fact that life is continuing despite these storm clouds. Chapter 2 and verse 1 of Exodus. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. A young couple, I guess they've fallen in love despite being slaves in a foreign land, despite the storm clouds gathering over them. Life is continuing, and they marry. And then verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, says Exodus, she hid him three months. Moses' mother sees this, this is a fine child. This is a beautiful child. And being a Hebrew, being an Israelite, she would know that this fine and this beautiful child was a gift from God made in the image of God. She would know that the murder of this child would be a terrible crime 
It would be an awful sin against God himself. And so risking her own life with her husband now, they together hide the child. And the ensuing narrative, well, it is both famous and familiar. You may remember what happens. When the baby grows too big to be hidden anymore in the home, his mother makes a basket for him and places the basket in the river among the reeds at the river bank. Actually, the word that the book of Exodus uses to describe this little floating basket, it's an unusual word. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 6 to speak of Noah's ark, actually. This is a little vessel of salvation. This will be a little boat through which God brings about his saving plan for his people. And sure enough, that is just what God does. In due time, in due course, Pharaoh's daughter takes Moses home as her own son. The child who would have been destroyed by Pharaoh's decree is now welcomed into Pharaoh's household as a son, as a prince. And this child, we know, will be God's agent of salvation for Israel, the means by which the saving purposes of God move forward and are achieved. It's an amazing story of God's gracious design. But all this, it happens, we're told, through the faith of Moses' parents. Notice again what Hebrews says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. This young couple, they had a basic choice to make. Would they fear the king and give up their son to this cruel decree? Or would they trust God for the protection that they need as they do everything within their power to keep this precious God-given gift entrusted to them, this beautiful child whom the Lord had sent. And in a fearful time, in a fearful situation, in the face of genocidal anger and a threat to life, in the face of the anger and hatred of a powerful king, this young couple, they act in faith. And God works through that faith to achieve his saving purposes, not just now for a baby and a family, but for a nation. And as we shall see, for you and for me. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Enduring by Faith taking a look at the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 11, so maybe if you joined us late, you can grab a Bible, because we're going to get back to this message in just a moment. If you did join us late, you can always listen to what you missed by coming to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. There you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. That's Moses' parents, who lived by faith, in fearful times. But next up, of course, is Moses himself. Verse 24. My faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. When he grows up, Moses sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. 
remember that the people are slaves in the land. And for Moses, that moment, well, it becomes a moment of decision. Will he just turn a, a princely blind eye to what's taking place, pretend he saw nothing, and just return to the palace for a nice lunch as any good prince would? Might he, might he give the uh, Egyptian abuser a kind of conspiratorial slap on the back and a wink of the eye? Or, or will he rather stand up to him? Will he cast in his lot with the persecuted people of God, the people of God's own choosing? And will he defend this victim of abuse? And will he stay the hand of the oppressor? And of course, Moses, he famously chooses the latter, as we know. He kills the abuser in defense of the defenseless. And in making that choice, in that moment of decision, he gives up all his royal privilege. And he makes himself an outcast and a fugitive. He's forced to flee Egypt and leave behind his life of comfort and his life of privilege there. Verse 26, it is one of those verses we kind of trip over because we're not quite sure what to make of it in the first instance. Hebrews tells us that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater reward than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward yet to come. In what sense was Moses considering the reproach of Christ really at all in his day? centuries before Jesus was born at Bethlehem. How could Moses have been considering the reproach of Christ on any level? That's a very good question. And of course, probing it just a little actually takes us deep into the fabric of the interconnections of the Bible, deep into the fabric of the way in which the New Testament reads the Old Testament. In choosing to cast his lot with his nation of birth, with, with the Hebrew people, with God's chosen people, Moses was saying essentially this. Yeah, the, the treasures of Egypt, they, they're mine now. The pleasures of life in this wicked society, they're open to me. But I see greater treasure attached to the people of God because they are heirs of the very promises of God. God's promised to save us, the nation of Israel. He, he's promised to bring us into our own land. He's promised to bless us and to make us a blessing both in time and eternity. But to choose the people of God and the riches of the future promises of God, it meant for a time to embrace true reproach. These people were slaves, abused, mistreated, scorned by the world. When God the Son came to earth as a man, the Bible tells us that he came to be the true Israelite, the faithful and promised son of Abraham who would sum up all the hopes of the nation. He, he came to be the son of David, the promised Messiah, who would deliver the people from all that enslaved them. He came to be the representative of Israel, the savior of Israel, the Messiah of Israel. And so when Moses chose to bear the reproach of Christ in his day, as he bore the reproach of Israel, he was actually making a choice ultimately about the savior of Israel to come. He was choosing 
the reproach of Christ, who would himself, of course, be scorned and abused, murdered by his oppressors, but who would emerge from the grave gloriously victorious. Moses was content to bear that reproach in place of the treasures of Egypt because Hebrews tells us he was looking forward to the reward, the very salvation promises of God. He didn't know how God would achieve that salvation, to be sure. He didn't have the details of the birth in Bethlehem yet to come so many years down the line. But he looked forward to a deliverance that would surely come, a deliverance that would come ultimately through Jesus Christ in accordance with the promises of God. And he bore that reproach, and he made that choice. Well, that was the choice that Moses made. And as he stepped out in faith and not fear, he stepped into the promises of God. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, whether here in verse 27 the writer is talking about Moses' first departure from Egypt or his second one, the first one after he killed that abusive Egyptian, or the second one when he led the nation out in the Exodus, I'm not totally certain. The commentators aren't totally certain. But the big point is simple enough. Had Moses feared Pharaoh more than he feared God, he would have stayed both the first time and the second time. But although that powerful and angry king was thoroughly visible to the eyes of Moses, and although his anger was all too real, for Moses, the invisible sovereign above was of far greater importance. Pleasing him mattered more. And because Moses was serving the Lord above, he endured in his pilgrimage away from the security of Egypt, away from the palace, away from those earthly comforts. And in doing so, he trusted the Lord's promised protection. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. God called Moses to walk through dangerous and fearful times and to lead the nation of Israel through those dangerous and fearful times. He was defying the greatest superpower and the greatest ruler on earth. He led the nation through plagues of judgment, the 10 plagues that God sent upon the land in which they lived. And Moses was called to trust he was called to wait. He was called to endure in faith. Of the ten plagues, the greatest and the most terrifying was the plague of the death of the firstborn son in each household in the land. God told Moses how to instruct the people to escape the plague, take a lamb without blemish and kill the lamb, put its blood on the doorposts of your house and when the angel of death sees the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over your house and spare your firstborn son. Trust God's promise, both that there is a, a judgment coming and trust God's promise of protection if you respond in faith to his word. 
and Moses led the people. He led them by faith through that plague and he led them into salvation. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Enduring by Faith, part of our series, So Great a Salvation, where we're taking a look at the book of Hebrews today in Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll continue this message next time. Well, we're glad that you've tuned in, and whether you listen on the radio or online, Encounter the Truth is made possible because of your generosity. We truly are listener-supported. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Heaven, How I Got Here. It's the story of the thief on the cross, and this is a great book to read. If you don't have a firm understanding of the gospel, it really shows that our entrance into heaven is not dependent on anything that we have done, but it's in faith in Christ because of what he accomplished on the cross. We'd love to send you a copy of this book as our way of saying thanks. You can give your gift online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-998-7884. That's 833-99-TRUTH or EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.